0: Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today, we have a special guest, Rene Ritchie. He's been covering Apple for a long time. I've followed him from back in the iMore days to now he has an incredible YouTube channel where he covers all things Apple. It's a pleasure to have him on the show. Rene, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is terrific. Thank you.
0: Now, how long have you been covering Apple? Can you recall?
1: Yeah, it was since 2008, That was when I first started.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Because you were at iMore and now you're independent. Yes. Were you anywhere before iMore? Is that kind of where you got your start?
1: I was doing product marketing for an enterprise database company. And I loved marketing, but enterprise was just so deathly dull. And I used to hang around the Trio Central forums. And then when I saw the iPhone keynote, it just i wanted one but the iphone wasn't coming out in canada for the first version i eventually actually managed to smuggle one across the border and jailbreak it with a tiff file because those were the days <laughs> and i noticed that the trio central people had started a website called phone different mm. and it was being slow to update so i just kept yelling that they were slow and eventually the guy who was running it said well then why don't you write something and that was dieter bone who eventually now is at the verge but he hired me and right right just said "Write about apple and i said it's one company with one phone on one carrier in one country there's not gonna be anything to write about
0: (laughs) little did we know even at that time well yes that's awesome and you know if our listeners don't know you are from canada and maybe the most important question of this interview uh, i didn't prepare you for this so i don't know what your answer will be but i have never had the privilege of experiencing it but is poutine really all it's cracked up to be
1: yeah, I mean, I think, so the drinking age in Quebec is 18, famously, as everybody who lives in New York, <laughs> Vermont knows. And you need something to soak that up because the bars also basically never close. So I think they had the great idea of, you know, French fries by themselves were too dry, especially at 3 a.m. Sure. So throw some gravy <laughs> on that. And then that's just not rich enough. So you might as well throw some, some cheese curds on top of that, too. And then, you know, poutine was born. <laughs>
0: Very good. Okay. Well, one day hopefully, get up there and try it. For sure. Well, since I have you, you know, you have super detailed, super in-depth videos on all things Apple on your YouTube channel. There'll be a link in show notes to that. I want to talk to you about a a number of things. But first of all, Mark Gurman from Bloomberg, he is saying that this is the year, 2022, that we should expect to see an Apple VR headset. It's been long rumored. We kind of have the VR rumors and then some AR glasses rumors. But it's looking like that's a few years out, probably not this year. I wanted to hear your thoughts on what would be if you, A, are expecting it this year, but B, you know, Apple always tells a story when they announce a product. And I've been trying to imagine when Apple announces a VR headset, is it going to look like the Oculus where the selling points are games, (laughs) fitness and the metaverse? or do you think they'll have something additional to it? I don't know. How do you feel about the VR headset that might come from Apple?
1: Yeah, I mean, just to step back for a moment. So Apple always has these SPG groups, special project groups, and they go off and they work on things like cars and virtual reality because Apple is such a big company, such a rich company that they can afford to actually first just talk about, then think about, then experiment, then prototype pretty much anything that any like vlogger, blogger, video person, Twitter person, anything can think about. They can actually go and try it. So a lot of times when we see what comes to market it's because they've actually spent a few years working on it. And the VR headset is one of the biggest ones. And you can usually tell the big ones because they get a senior vice president attached to them, someone who's responsible to the executive committee. And Dan Richo was doing that along with a lot of other stuff. But in the last year, he's become dedicated to working on, on these projects. And that's usually a good sign that they're maturing to the point where they're gonna get productized. And I think you're absolutely right. The story part is essential. Tim Cook is famous for his doctrine, which is Apple only wants to bring to market um, products that they believe are both highly differentiated. They control the most fundamental important technologies and they can make a real experiential difference to customer lives. And if it doesn't meet those things, they don't do it just because mm-hmm. they run their company like a bunch of little startups and they have very limited bandwidth. And doing one thing means not doing a bunch of other things. So you have to get everything lined up to support a- another whole product that, at least in Apple's mind, could one day be an Apple TV sized product that, or an iPad sized product or maybe even another, eventually, an iPhone sized product. And I think the story behind this, at least my understanding, is the VR and the AR are completely different products. And they're not even so much products in that Tim Cook believes that uh, Autonomies, uh, artificial intelligence, and virtual and augmented reality are going to be three of the fundamental technologies of the future. They're not products, which is why he's happy to talk about them because they don't—they don't actually. Apple's not going to sell like a box of AI or a box of VR. <laughs>
0: it's hard to ship. It's hard to get that thing to ship.
1: Yeah, exactly. They're sort of like the confluence of technologies that resulted in the iPhone, where there were mm. LCD displays. Couldn't have made an iPhone with CRT back like the original iMac. Had to get to to LCD first. And then wireless networking and the miniaturization that came from the iPod. And you put those together, it makes an incredibly compelling consumer technology. And I think Apple has looked at VR and AR the same way. But like eventually, a lot of things will have AR components. A lot of things will have VR components. What is the best product we can make and when can we make it? And they've sort of settled on AR glasses, which are going to be like uh, the Apple Watch. They're gonna be mm-hmm. very constrained at first, dependent on existing products at first, and they're gonna be a convenience device where they give you glanceable information and notifications. Right. But the VR headset, that can be bigger, that can have more powerful silicon on board, like compute power on board. And that's sort of an extension of the Apple TV where its, mm. its whole thing is gonna be about immersion. You're not 10 feet away on a sofa, you're right up in there, but it's the same services that they've been building. So the same way they've been setting up AR with the iPhone and the iPad for years to get to where they're gonna be with the glasses, they've been setting up all the services on Apple TV, everything from Apple Arcade to Fitness Plus to the educational products that they have. And it's going to be really about you put this on and it's your personal highest experience possible. We could never charge 3,000 bucks for an Apple TV, but wow, can we sell you one screen for your head? That's 3,000 (laughs) bucks at first.
0: Right, and it is interesting. They have Apple Fitness Plus, they have Apple Arcade, they have Apple TV, which again, are those three main selling points of something like the meta VR goggles. But I feel like when Apple will announce it, there's got to be something else in addition to those things that kind of make it special or make it unique to Apple. Do you have any ideas about what else that they might include in like a feature set? Or is it just the integration? What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's integration and I think also Apple's direction because I think their goal is not to make a virtual reality that you live in. I think like there are certain things that are just anathema right. to Apple's culture. They wanna give you experiences that you can enjoy that don't take over your world. I think they see that as sort of like big social tobacco, the way that mm. Facebook is positioning meta and they wanna provide an alternative that is more privacy centric, that is more human, not humane, that's a whole other product, but like very <laughs> human right. and it's gonna be that integration which they started like the one of the reasons from emoji is that we would be comfortable with having avatars of ourselves, augmented reality VR avatars of ourselves. Right. They've been really boiling that water for for years so that their experience is gonna be you're already used to doing all these things. Now you can do them like your Apple music, you can have that in a live concert venue. Mm. You can have your Apple TV on an IMAX sized screen, you can have your Apple arcade and whatever they escalate Apple arcade to you can have that. that. That is a VR experience. And all of it within like the Apple ecosystem that all your, like your Apple Watch ties into Fitness Plus and your iPhone ties into these other aspects of it. And it just becomes a very holistic product for them.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm excited to see. Do you think it's going to be this year or do you think we're going to be waiting longer?
1: I think if Apple has their druthers, if everything goes their way, it'll be a fall of this year product. Right. But, you know, as we've seen... In the best of times, those sorts of things don't always line up. Like they can always be battery life issues or, you know, supply chain issues. And especially in 2020, 2021, and now, God help us, 2022, it's <laughs> yeah, even harder yeah. to judge how critical components are going to be in supply and and when they feel it's right to launch the product. I hope end of this year, but, you know, could be beginning of next year too.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of other future technologies, a video you actually just released yesterday as our listeners listened to this interview is talking about how Apple maybe you can destroy Bluetooth or kill Bluetooth. And talking specifically about AirPods Pro 2, we discussed this rumor on the last episode of the Apple Insider Show that they might be investigating a wireless communication where you can deliver lossless audio to AirPods. And that might start with AirPods Pro 2 and AirPods Max, hopefully. And it would just be a proprietary way or maybe not proprietary. Maybe they would allow other companies to use it. But I'm curious, your thoughts, You know, if Apple moves this direction, They come up with maybe it's an ultra-wideband or some kind of Wi-Fi type protocol to deliver audio from a device to AirPods, so it can be lossless. Would they still support Bluetooth, or do you think they really just might get rid of it entirely, breaking compatibility with a bunch of other devices?
1: Well, my personal preference would be that they use Bluetooth as a fallback or sort of like a failsafe. Right. Just because, one, I don't want to see Neil Patel's head literally explode. Like I think all of us enjoy him enough.
0: First, the headphone jack. Yeah. yeah, like that. We want we
1: want to keep him around. We want to keep him healthy. We want to keep him alive. But I have the suspicion that the HomePod never got Bluetooth because Apple feared that the first thing everybody would do would be to set it up as a Bluetooth speaker, especially everybody who works for publications like Apple Insider or makes air like or makes YouTube videos like me. And then with like the very thin pipe of Bluetooth, it would sound exactly the same as a discount speaker from Amazon, mm. and they would just be dealing with like review cycles, which say this thing is a three hundred dollar Bluetooth speaker. So by withholding that, they force everyone to use AirPlay and then people can say, oh, it sounds much bigger and richer and has a much better soundstage and I'm getting all this spatial audio Mm. and it just blows away all these cheap Bluetooth speakers. And I think that was a very deliberate product design decision. But for AirPods, I think it's more like Apple Music where Apple Music goes so far as to have an Android client. And part of that is because there are family plans and Apple understands that some families have big gadget love. You know, They're not all about iPhone sometimes there's Android phones in the mix they don't want people to not get an Apple Music family plan just because they're not a completely Apple family. And I think this is gonna be similar to that where these are accessories. You know, Maybe one day there'll be more primary computing devices. When the Apple Watch becomes the iPhone and the AirPods become the Apple Watch, mm. maybe Apple starts thinking more about lock-in. But I think in the beginning, Apple is gonna want these to work on older devices and also not, not necessarily just Apple devices, in case you have multiple devices and you specifically, they opt out of buying them just because they won't work with your you know your your side pixel or your side galaxy
0: right and you know it's interesting you mentioned the home pod and maybe they didn't ship it with bluetooth for fear that it would sound like other things I almost wonder if something like Bluetooth or at the very least like an aux in jack on the larger HomePod, would it have saved it from <laughs> destruction? <laughs> like, Would would more people have bought it maybe if it could have been a little more future proof in that way, do you think?
1: I, I don't think it would have saved that. I think it would have taken away the ire of, there's this thing like on tech Twitter and tech YouTube where nerds like to think that our minority opinions are majority opinions and they almost never are. We really are like five to 10% of the market. Yeah. And we would have loved it. Like. Everyone who would talk about it on tech Twitter or in comments on blogs would have absolutely loved it, but that's a very small part of the market. And the whole reason that Apple made the, the home to begin with was that they felt people didn't have easy ways to just enjoy all these music products that they were creating. Mm. And they wanted to make a box that you didn't, like you didn't have to think about or worry about a cable. You just drop it in the room and it would sound great no matter where you were in the room throughout the entire room. And the idea of running cables back and forth That is a complete niche nerd need that I would have loved to have seen, but it was not core to the product. And I think that's, that's sort of the reason why they avoided that there.
0: So there were other rumors that are still circulating that maybe Apple will bring back a larger speaker, but in conjunction with some kind of screen device to match like the Echo Shows or the Google Nest Home devices with a screen. And maybe Apple's would be like a HomeKit control plus iPad plus speaker. I've been hesitant to really dive into like, yeah, they're definitely gonna do that. I don't know, do you think they'll either at least bring back a higher end audio device or do you think this screen speaker device is actually something we might see? I would love them to, again,
1: like just me personally, I would love them to because the HomePod mini is good, but it just doesn't have that room filling big bass sound the way the HomePod Biggie did. Just making another one of those that isn't quite as expensive, I think would fill uh, the niche that is the Apple higher end home speaker market. Mm. They have to determine, you know, Tim Cook has to use his pivot tables and figure out if that's a big <laughs> enough market to justify right. the attention resources and and money that goes into it. But Apple, again, the experiment, I've heard about HomePods with displays. Uh, I would personally would prefer a dock. Like I, I like the magic keyboard. You can slap an iPad on, slap it off. I would love a HomePod that you could slap a, an iPad onto and it uses a smart connector to just show you a bunch of HomePod-y things. Like instead of CarPlay, you'd have like HomePlay yeah. and it would just give you like dead dedicated version of Home OS with touch controls on it. And then you pull it off and you can use it as an iPad. Because the idea of just having like an Apple quality display locked into my kitchen speaker kind of irks me. But I think it's probably a simpler solution for people who aren't me.
0: Right. My dream, Renee, is A, that Apple gets back into the Wi-Fi router business. Yeah. But that it's a Wi-Fi router with thread support for HomeKit with private relays. So all your internet communication goes through the iCloud private relay stuff. And then it could also be a speaker like the larger HomePod. I feel like, I don't know, that's one of my dream devices that I could just, you know, give back to Apple the Wi-Fi router stuff so I don't have to use all these companies being bought up by Amazon.
1: Yeah, I would love that too. And like for a privacy-centric company, the idea that the the gateway between our personal data and the internet data isn't protected. Right. Again, it it's irksome. It irks me. I think they feel like it's like a commodity solved problem and they can't differentiate. But I, I feel like you take the Apple T V, you take the home pods, you take anything that you can plug in and those all become nodes on a mesh Apple router network. Right. And then you can do everything you talked about. You can pre stage software updates. You're not waiting for them to download on a small device all the time. Mm. There's so many interesting things they could do. But again it's like that formula where we have we can manage five things in this cycle, which five things are they going to be? And the router falls off because they got to ship an iMac.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking about fallback technologies from AirPlay to Bluetooth, I wanted to talk about this article from the Wall Street Journal. This was a recent article and it was talking about why Apple's iMessage is winning teens dread the green text bubble. That was the headline. And this article is basically saying that because Apple has relegated any non-iPhone user, if they're gonna be texting an iPhone, it goes over SMS, and then those bubbles are green, that teens are actually experiencing peer pressure and ridicule for not having the blue bubbles. And even a Google senior vice president got in on there, tweeted the article, and says like, yeah, this is not good. And I think it's so interesting, this attack on iMessage as some closed system and that, I don't know, that Apple needs to open up or something, which is ironic. I actually looked back, and Scott Forstall, back in the day, tried to get carriers, at least here in the U.S., to join a rich text message service, so it didn't have to be such a disparity between iMessage and SMS. But I don't know if you've got a chance to see that article, or at least the headlines going around, but what are your thoughts about that iMessage lock-in and what it, quote-unquote, could be doing to kids?
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think one of the... one of the, I forget who was talking about it, it might've been Jessica Lesson when she came back to the information yesterday about how uh, a lot of big, publications have sort of taken on this influencer uh, mentality where they <laughs> right. wanna make as, as big a splash as possible with every headline, with every piece. And I don't wanna say it's a hit piece, like everything becomes a hit piece or everything becomes gotcha journalism or everything becomes sort of hyper sensationalized, but it really does feel like we're sorely lacking in nuance, especially from business publications where they're not like looking at the facts and then drawing out the story, but they're, thinking, oh, this would be a great story. What can we put behind it to sort of justify our publishing it? And I don't wanna downplay that there are absolutely socioeconomic issues behind iMessage and Apple devices and Yes, it's not the same in every part of the world because in some places WhatsApp or WeChat or Line or something else is is far more important right. than iMessage. But you know, for American teenagers, it is important. I think one thing that gets lost often is that originally messages were just green and Apple added right. the blue color for iMessage because they are different in kind from SMS messages. And Apple believed that you needed a visual cue, which you know, and we can argue about colorblindness and stuff, but you needed a visual cue that told you this was not being sent through the SMS system. You were not being billed for it the way you would an SMS message. It is also encrypted unlike an SMS message. So if you send a group chat for example or someone changes phones and the message comes back green you now are in you you have an indication that the conversation is no longer secured is no longer end to end encrypted and you might alter your behavior because of that right and there are side effects to every decision and there are good and bad consequences and you know, tools can be used to heal people and to hurt people. But I think this iMessage the way it is now is, is that way for a very specific reason. And I think adding a lot of this noise to it does, doesn't does address what you were just talking about, which is the need for better interoperable communication standards.
0: Right. and. <laughs> You know, it's interesting, and just to be clear, it is not just like the color difference because, as some of the teenagers would say, group chats, it's very noticeable when it's not an iMessage group chat because you can't add or remove people easily. Yep. You don't get the ellipses when people are typing. You lose the message reactions and, and other things specific to the iMessage ecosystem. So it is a feature disparity, not just a visual disparity, and that's, you know, the teens obviously realize that, and I think adults do too. You know you can, you can know when you're not in an iMessage chat. But I thought it was interesting uh, Max Weinbach, he covers Apple as well. He actually had a TikTok where he was saying the green bubbles are all Apple's fault. <laughs> and he was saying it's, you know, you could we have RCS, which is rich communication services on Android phones. And if Apple just adopts it, then uh, it would all take care of itself. And I actually did a little response because ironically, it's not just Apple who is working against this idea of interoperability. If you look up Verizon's page and AT&T's page, they only support RCS on their own network, Verizon of Verizon and AT&T. They're not cross-network compatible. T-Mobile's trying to be cross-network, but they're not really getting there. And not all phones support it. And so this is a larger issue than just Apple needs to flip a switch or not. And I feel like a lot of that nuance gets lost in the conversation.
1: Yeah, it's a double-edged sword too, because it's not anything new either. Like back in the day, if you weren't on BBS... You know, BBM, <laughs> right? BlackBerry. On, on a BlackBerry, you weren't like you—you you couldn't work on Wall Street, like you right. Didn't have uh, the CEOs on your PIN chat system, like th- these things have always existed, and they just—they keep moving. Like if you're not on WhatsApp in Brazil, you have serious problems, right? It's not just an Apple issue, but I do think that one of the arguments for Apple supporting RCS is that Apple is such a change agent that if they did get on board with it, it would help right. force other carriers and other areas to get on board with it. It's just like it's at the maturity point yet. I don't think Apple's deliberately ignoring it. I do think they are they are weighing the lock-in value of iMessage with the interoperability advantage of RCS. And I can see them switching out SMS for RCS as soon as it has right. critical mass enough that them adding to it would make it a done deal. I just don't get the... I don't know what the right word is, the agita that surrounds all these things in an ignorance vacuum for so many years.
0: Right, and I think, you know, if Apple were to flip the switch and say, okay, we now support RCS in the Messages app natively, there would be immediately a million support requests because if I'm on AT&T and I try to message my friend on Verizon, they have an Android, but I have an iPhone, but supposedly we both support RCS, there would be a question of why isn't it working? And now it's not, has nothing to do with Apple. If Apple supports it, it's all to do with the carriers. And I think some of those disparities just don't get teased out yes again like Scott Forstall even tried to go to the carriers before iMessage launched to try and convince them of interoperability standard we don't realize how much power the carriers actually have in some of this interoperability
1: and how much money I mean I forget what the numbers were but at one point they were saying that for Nokia text messaging was the single biggest legal (laughs) money maker ever devised by humanity right Because people were paying 25 cents to send like three words or something. And it was making so much money. It was in there and they used it as a carrier lock-in. Right. Because it was very hard to change systems and bring your your message history with you. I think that's all true. And I think Apple wouldn't even announce it unless they had critical mass from the carriers, which means that they would have to go like they did with 5G. They didn't put out 5G as early as anybody else. Right. But when they did, they had spent a good two years. Well, one, uh, you know, making sure the carriers could actually support the iPhone because putting anything on an iPhone means hundreds of millions of people are gonna hit it. And most early networks will just fall down. But they also spent a lot of time working with the carriers to come up with something that was, you know, utterly transparent to the user and there's a Again, only so much capacity to do that any given year either. Exactly.
0: Well, I want to move on to some software questions and then iPhone 14 lastly. But when it comes to software, again, WWDC will be coming up in a few months. We'll be seeing iOS 16 and iPad OS 16. And I want to touch on iPad for a moment because I'm a a big iPad user when it comes to podcast production. I did all my podcasts on iPad and a lot of my workflow is directly on iPad, except for recording, because there's some yeah. holdups there as far as what the iPad can do hardware-wise. And now I am not a proponent of just put Mac OS on iPad. I think that's A, not gonna happen, and B, not a good idea. I think iPad OS is good, but there are definitely some things that need to be added. In your experience and opinion, do you think that Apple will begin or continue to add some power features? Again, like I have an M1 iPad Pro, it's got a Thunderbolt port, I can plug in Thunderbolt peripherals and USB microphones, but two apps can't both access the same microphone at the same time. Like something as simple as that, that doesn't add any visual complexity, it's strictly a utility that needs to be enabled. Do you think they're actually going to start doing that, like secondary displays? Or is iPadOS kind of going to be stagnant?
1: I think there's like, I don't know what the right word is, not inertia really, but I think like when Steve wanted the iPad, hmm. he really did not want it to be a Mac, like violently did not want it to be a Mac. His goal was to make right. ever more mainstream computing devices and he saw this as something that people who still looked at a Mac and saw it as inaccessible or or, uh, alienating or intimidating that they could just pick up this piece of glass and tap it. And that's why he had things like the home button. You could never get lost. You just press the home button, Mm. you'd go back to a known state. Like All of these things were designed to be the antithesis of the Mac in so many ways. I don't know if he used his words, but the tyranny of computer scientists (laughs) who had made us live with hierarchical file systems and all this universally cruft for so long. And that's why like for as many people who would love to have Steve and Scott back in charge, they couldn't even push out AirDrop under Steve and Scott. Like it was just, that was considered too nerdy. There was, they had this line where like you will not cross it. You will not make a files app. You will not do, even when it became so much more complicated to work around not having it, Right. they had these lines in the sand. Like this is gonna be a mainstream device. It's not that they haven't changed their minds. I think they have. I think like it, like Craig is so much nerdier and he wants so much more functionality yeah. in all these devices. Uh, you know, it's a it's a very different team, but so many, it's like the same reason, it's the worst analogy, it's the same reason you still can't scroll properly on an Android. There were so many decisions made about how it was implemented that they have spent years mm. trying to overcome things like overdrawing cells or or just the way that the multitasking system works. Apple was so sandboxed and so like security was everything. It was built to have so much separation between apps that they've, they've been sort of plugging different RCA cables back and forth for years. And (laughs) it probably requires a way more substantive rewrite. Like we're talking about the HomePod. The HomePod got delayed because the original AirPlay was a hack job and they'd spent years ignoring core audio and other foundation API issues. And they had to go back and re-architect all that. There's so much technical debt. And I think just like the way the iOS was built, having having something connect to two different audio streams simultaneously was a security risk. Mm. Like they didn't want anybody to be able to uh, break through that app barrier. And it seems ridiculous now, but in, in their grand vision, Sure. that's how it was designed and they can patch it up and they have with like a few different APIs but at some point they're going to have to go back and decide it's okay that it's not a Mac but it still has to do these things so how do we make it do these things in a way that you know does not make it a Mac and retains its usability but also satisfies the utility right and that I think is like we spent three years in, like drag and drop hell because those are hard problems to solve
0: sure yeah absolutely hopefully what new things that we'll see across the operating systems, I'm actually hard pressed to think about more features that I want to see. You know, a lot of people have been talking about maybe Apple should just make it a bug fix year, Snow Leopard-esque, where they just, you know, clean everything up. But we know Apple's going to announce new features. They always do. And so aside from like clipboard management on like built into macOS and iOS, I haven't really thought or really, you know, can think about new and more features that I would want. Do you have any things that you have been hoping for, or maybe that we hope to see added at WWDC this year?
1: I always have like these wish lists and I don't know how reasonable they are or not. And some of them are completely not things that I want, but things that I think are might be valuable. Like for example, a lot of people have been talking about how complicated, we were just talking about how complicated iOS and iPadOS have become, how far away they are from that original vision of the, of the first iPhone and iPad. And I saw, I think it was Gartenberg, formerly of Apple yesterday, asking if, if it needed an easy mode. Like when you turn it on and setup buddy starts, <laughs> I was joking and said, Like, do you read tech Twitter? And if you say no, then it gives you like a super simple, almost original (laughs) style iPhone. And if you say yes, then you get like all the customization options.
0: Yeah, and you get shortcuts. It gets thrown on their homepage.
1: Yeah, no, like absolutely. But like some people now are still saying the Photos app doesn't give us the manual controls that we really want and need. Mm. While other people are saying Photos is so crap full of controls, I can barely use it anymore. And as markets mature, the user base becomes different. Uh, you know, when it says that like, like when you say like, like any company large enough is indistinguishable from evil, it's just because as your customer base grows, their needs become so different, it's, it becomes harder and harder mm. to satisfy all of them. So that's when you start segmenting. I don't know if we're at that point yet, hmm. but like the idea of a guest mode, so that uh, you know, if if someone just wants to borrow your tablet at a conference, whenever conferences become a thing again, yeah. or you want to just give someone your phone to use, Apple's prototyped this. They've never shipped. They've never shipped it. Something that keeps you in in sort of like a quasi preboard limbo, so you don't have access to your device, but they can still pull up a web page, make a phone call those sorts of things, and then Theme Kit, which I think was also prototyped at one point, where mm. not just night mode and bright mode, but you actually can choose between, and, and Google's actually already shipped this, which is ironic in some ways, you can choose like, Uh, I want like reds or greens, or I want this, Mm -hmm. this theme for my iPhone. And then everyone just gets that in UI kit. And all the apps are as easily updated as they were for dark mode. It's like a bunch of those sorts of things, actual working font kit. (laughs) Like there's just so many things that (laughs) not so that you can put comic songs on your display, but so that, you know, they're not so hard to work with.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That'd be That would be wonderful. And speaking of also looking forward to new things. So iPhone 14, we don't have a ton of information on it. There's some leaks that, you know, might have a hole punch display, but we don't really know the story. We don't know what features. And so like OSs, I'm not too sure what I want there. Do you have any wishes for the iPhone 14? There was that rumor of the satellite connectivity where if you were outside of cellular connectivity that you'd still be able to like send a message or something over a satellite. Yeah, we didn't see that in the 13, maybe it'll come in the 14, but any features that you hope come to the hardware when we see a new iPhone this year?
1: Yeah, and again, I'm just gonna go back to being incredibly selfish for a minute. And for me, it's like as someone (laughs) who shoots 10-bit video on on my big camera every day and takes it off using Thunderbolt, uh, having to transfer video off an iPhone now, 10-bit ProRes 422, which is six gigabytes per minute using the original lightning cable, which is still, USB 2.0 speeds which I think is like half a gigabit yeah. per second. Yeah. It's it's not feasible. It's like you could make this amazing chipset that has a ProRes accelerator on it. You can make this incredible IO system that can get all of that onto SSD without dropping a single frame, but you're just you're missing the <laughs> IO controller that lets me get it off the thing afterwards. It's like yes. You got 2 thirds of the way there. So, I don't care if it's lightning 2, I don't care if it's USB 4, I don't care if it's Uh, ultra high fast wireless. I just, I want something that would let me get this ProRes footage that I can make now into Final Cut.
0: You know, I had hoped the last couple of years that maybe USB-C would come maybe in the form of Thunderbolt to the iPhone, but I am less and less inclined to think that will ever happen. I think we're going to get a portless iPhone before we get USB-C. I don't know. Do you you think we'll ever see it go to USB-C or will it always be lightning and then nothing? Wireless.
1: Yeah, I mean, Apple is usually like, they have this idea of like a decade per connector. Like they switched from Firewire to dock and that was almost 10 years. I think it was just, just a mm. few months shy of 10 years. Then they switched to Lightning anticipating that was gonna be 10 years. I, it's harder for me that they didn't increase the speed of light. Like they did with the camera kit on the iPad, right. but never on the iPhone. And I understand like in their thinking there was just no need for it, but it's this, like the same company that's making ProRes. Like they, you've got to anticipate those needs and at least give me Lightning with three Speeds. I, I think there's like a bunch of trade-offs that with USB-C that are sort of transparent to nerds, especially just how terrible the spec is and <laughs> how terrible the power management yes. of the spec is and the quality control. And I think Apple made people's lives very, very easy. Like not perfect, Lightning has some quirks about it too, but pretty much you can buy any Lightning cable, plug it in and it will manage the charge state of your device, which is not true in the USB-C world. (laughs) Right, right. And it doesn't need the same peripheral compatibility because there's much fewer people plugging their iPhone into a printer uh, than their iPad. And nice. iPads have much bigger batteries or there's just like, there's so much more of a buffer on iPad. So I get it, but it's beginning to be that point where we need to switch to something.
0: You've been using MagSafe for charging and mounting and stuff like that?
1: I do. I mean, I always love it when people complain about micromanaging their charging and then slap it on the least efficient wireless charger ever. <laughs> but like at night I plug into like the original iPhone charger because it's very low wattage and it just charges slowly and it's gonna be plugged in overnight and I let the system manage it. But then if I have a MagSafe charger in my car and I have one next to my desk. And I like those because they hold it up and I can see the display while it's charging. So I, I just use whatever's convenient.
0: Okay. All right. Lightning round. Last three questions here. What was your favorite product of 2021? Favorite Apple launch release hardware wise. What was your favorite of last year?
1: It's for me, it's the M1 Max MacBook Pro. Yeah. Just for three really quick reasons. One is that it is so much faster than Intel. I get like rent, I save minutes on every hour. Mm. It's also instantly, responsive like an iPad. So there's no more drag and effect wait, drag and effect wait, I save seconds on every minute. And also because everything is offloaded to rendering engines when I hit that button. On Intel, like I would hit that button and not be able to like web browse easily because the, the CPU was just completely floored. But on this, it doesn't touch the CPU or GPU. So I can tell it to render, go make a thumbnail, surf the web, it's like having a second Mac. <laughs> and like that whole concept right. is so good that just nothing yeah. else is gonna come close for a while
0: for me, I think. Have you figured out what to do with all those dongles you've bought over the years?
1: I've always, I mean, like depending on. I've worked in, in production for a long time, and I've never known a dongle-free life. It was like FireWire 400, 800 dongles, DVI, <laughs> right, dual link, right. DisplayPort, VGA, HDMI. Like I just get different dongles, and that's why, like personally, I would have preferred eight USB-C Thunderbolt ports than anything else because. <laughs> sure. I can't turn HDMI into an SD card reader, but I can turn Thunderbolt, you know, and vice versa. Right, right.
0: The HDMI was the most curious addition to the new MacBook Pro. Like, I, I don't know when I'll ever use it, but yeah. corporate, corporate uses, I guess.
1: Uh, some people really like it. I mean, that's the thing, is that you'll never please everybody. So I think they pleased the vocal Twitter contingent this time.
0: Right. All right, what are you most excited for, for this year, 2022, as a hardware release?
1: I really want to see how they continue to scale the M1 platform and and get into the M2 platform. Like basically just the whole M platform because we've seen with the A series what they can do generationally like A13 to A14 to A15. And we've seen how they've extended those before like A12X and A12Z. We've got M1 and we've got M1 Pro and M1 Max now but I want to see what they do for like the Mac Pro. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be dual and quad die layouts? And then when they get into M2 that's going to be ultra low power but then how do they make an m2 max or pro because they didn't make x they didn't make like an an a11x or an a13x do we wait 18 months to i'm so fascinated with how they roll this whole thing
0: out yeah especially naming i mean will there be an m1 max pro max pro ultra a max yeah i don't know i'm gonna (laughs) gonna go what i
1: hope is that it's just dual m1 max and quad m1 max just keep it super simple
0: oh that'd be good that makes sense all right on your mac where is your dock and is it hidden or not
1: It is not hidden and it's on my left, which I keep getting crap for whenever I post (laughs) my screen, but it's because like originally I was a web developer and vertical height was everything to me. Like the doctors took away too many pixels and it was just never fast enough if it would auto hide or not. And I'm right-handed, so I'm always moving from left to right. Mm. It might seem more logical like with Fitz's law to just throw it on the right, but I I keep accidentally going over it that way. So I throw it on the left-hand side, that way it's out of the way unless I purposefully go left, but it's immediately available minute I do that.
0: Okay, I also have it on the left, but I auto-hide because okay. I find Spotlight is so good now that I just end up launching everything from Spotlight, even if it's in the dock.
1: I do the same, except it's not as bad. Like iOS, for some reason, I can't find basic apps in Spotlight anymore. It's just, they're completely gone. Really? And it, it, it really annoys me, but like the, today I typed in Final Cut and you'd think like I, I use Final Cut every day. I launch it from Spotlight every day. I had to type Final Cut before it would show up and I, <laughs> I don't know what the difference is.
0: Man, I get it. Okay, I'm gonna do it right now. Spotlight F. Final Cut Pro. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I don't know. I got it with F2. Yeah. If I go, and then and I'm getting it for the whole thing. Like, but before I was getting like random database files. It was very annoying.
0: Oh yeah, that is weird. Okay, I'm going to sneak in one more just because uh, I'm curious. Sure. Do you remember your first... Apple device.
1: Yes, it was an Apple two plus my father was an IBM engineer and he used to, back in the days of mainframes and he didn't want to have to go downtown to be able to do spreadsheets and stuff so he took me to the computer store and we bought an Apple two plus with VisiCalc and it had like one of those CRT green displays and it was like the most amazing thing I'd ever seen and I played way too much Castle Wolfenstein on it.
0: Ooh. now but what is the first Apple device that you bought for yourself? Oh, that I
1: bought for myself? Probably a Performa. I'm gonna blank on which one. Oh my goodness. But I got into Amiga's for a while, and then when Amiga
0: died, I bought a Performa. Wow, I, I'm not familiar with that. I'll be honest. This thing looks like a compact Presario. Wow, that's hilarious. Well, Renee Ritchie, thank you so much for joining us on the Apple Insider podcast. We will link to your YouTube channel in the show notes, of course, and on Twitter. You should follow Renee. Is there any place else that you would like to direct people so they can read your work or see your work? I put up
1: transcripts on reneerichie.net so like if anybody wants to read it rather than see it, they can just go there and oh. the video's there with all the text
0: very good well again thank you so much renee for joining us appreciate it thank you so much we hope you enjoyed that interview with special guest renee ritchie you can follow him on twitter and find his youtube channel in the show notes youtube.com slash renee ritchie and twitter.com slash renee ritchie also if you enjoy the show it would help us out if you gave us a five-star rating and review in the apple podcast app even if you don't listen there it helps to put a review there so we can be discovered by more listeners like yourself You can also support the show directly with $5 a month, either at patreon.com slash appleinsider or directly in Apple Podcasts, and you get an ad-free version of our weekly show, early access and access to our private Discord channel. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you for the regular Friday episode of the Apple Insider Podcast later this week.